Hey, it's Keith. It's Wednesday, January 13th, 2021, and I'm in Los Angeles, California. Life is not so bad in my neck of the woods. The sun is shining pretty regularly. The temperatures are nice and mild, and I think I'm achieving what I was aiming to achieve by escaping the dreary Berlin winter. And I have something like um, peace of mind. No, that's not it. Inner peace. Something like this. I feel chilled out. I'm in a very chilled out mood these days. And I want to share some of that with you, especially juxtaposed against the big news of the week, which is this political strife, this storming of the U.S. Capitol building by angry right-wing lunatics, <laughs> basically. And I want to talk about emotion regulation. I want to talk about hate and how worthless it seems to me even anti-hate. So I'm having a few different thoughts here. I'm thinking of a book that I've recently finished by Matt Taibbi, probably my favorite journalist, called Hate Incorporated or Hate Inc. It's a great book, I recommend it. It's kind of like a modern retelling in a way of Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. It's a media study on how we all kind of are fed information, especially nowadays in echo chambers, and how our minds are really molded by the information we feed it in the world. And this is a really obvious concept, perhaps, but it's something that we have to remind ourselves of the same way that our food diets shape our bodies in large part, that which we consume with our eyeballs and ears shapes our brains. And I just think this is especially important to, to think about in light of these recent events. Because in my estimation, this ridiculous a protest that got out of control and led to, I don't know how many, a thousand, more or less, I guess, I don't know, don't quote me on that. You know, the group of people, the fringe group of protesters that broke off from the bigger protest, which was already fringe, people that actually believe that Donald Trump had the election stole from him and that he really won it, but that Joe Biden and the Democratic machine, you know, stole it. It's not a crazy thought, let's be honest. I mean, leftists think the same. Uh, the shoe is on the other foot very often in these kind of cases, and I think that's just important to keep in mind. I guess I'm coming at this podcast episode from a very radical centrist perspective, because I just don't see the value in all this hate, all this anger, all this 
bubbling frustration, this foment, this violent insurgence vibe. You know, all summer long, it was coming from the left with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, uh, vandals and rioters and looters spilling out from these kind of anarchistic leftist movements against the racist, sexist, patriarchal system. And I spent a lot of time dissecting that, processing it, researching it, podcasting about it, trying to cut through the narrative that so many of my friends and family members and acquaintances were being fed. And now the shoe is on the other foot. It is right-wing conservative Republican types who are obviously losing their minds because they really believe that their country is under siege, that their political enemies have ruthlessly and um, corruptedly, that's not a word, seized power, stealing it from the Make America Great Again crowd. And I guess there's this belief that Joe Biden will introduce radical socialism or something. It's hard for me to speak to this too clearly, I must be honest, because I don't study the conservative agenda talking points very well. I do actually feel their pain in some ways. I've spent time, as you know, dear listener, uh, worrying myself about radical leftists and the ideologies that fuel a lot of leftist thought these days, like radical feminism or trans, you know, a trans movement of some sort that aims to attack basic biology. For instance, you know, I'm not at all a Sean Hannity guy or something like that, or even a Ben Shapiro guy, but you know, I, I take, I take the point that right-wing people do have things to fear, even something like mass immigration unchecked with the mild threat of terrorism, as small as that threat really is in America. You know, there are actual things to be concerned about, just as the left has a point that institutional racism, while mostly corrected, legally speaking, still looms through shadows of redlining and educational disenfranchisement, for instance. You know, there are real points that each side can make. And I suppose this is what kind of makes me a centrist, though I don't really identify as one. I can understand what pe where people are coming from. I understand the points, the rational points that people make politically. What I don't understand is how, they, how we as humans can lose our minds and how different groups become so ideologically possessed as to actually think it's worthwhile to storm past police officers into the state capitol building and steal Nancy Pelosi's podium and laptop and whatever. <laughs> while bearing guns and chanting and stuff. I mean, 
It's quite a scene, isn't it? It's despicable. It's embarrassing. And it's silly. And that's my reaction to it. Like, I see that and I just think, well, this is silly. But a lot of my friends and family are outraged. They have a reaction, a reactionary anti-hate. Or, um, you know, a mirroring hate. And today I'm seeing news about, you know, like, counter-protests. It's very ironic that the leftists against Trump supporters are now the ones waving American flags. You know, it just goes to show how vacuous and empty the American flag is as a symbol when it can be burned and waved by the exact same kind of person <laughs> given the month of the year. So it's really, I don't know, it's also cool because America is complex and it does stand for a lot of clashing ideas. And I like that people on the left might actually embrace the system again in some degree now that Joe Biden will take office. It just, I have to say, Americans are so silly. And I know that makes me a bit smug as a sort of cosmopolitan world person or whatever, world citizen. But it's like, do people not realize how bad things actually can be in Iran, in North Korea, in Venezuela, in Ukraine, in Belarus, in South Sudan, in northern Nigeria. I mean, the world is full of crazy war and oppression and tyranny and economic collapse and actual totalitarianism, actual stripping of human rights. Like, that stuff happens still. It's happened throughout history. And the USA actually has done a lot to make life pretty good. Now, I say that biting my tongue a bit because I'm in LA now and I forgot how terrible homelessness has become or houselessness to put it more accurately because I'm seeing people's homes on the sidewalk in tents, living out of shopping carts, you know, living on mattresses. It's pathetic. And I don't mean that the people doing it are pathetic. I mean that society, a wealthy society such as California especially, can tolerate this disgraceful, dehumanizing lifestyle for so many people. It's, it's awful. And I don't know. I guess like that's what I really care about, but that's not what this podcast is about today. This podcast is about regulating our emotions and dealing with hate and how I just don't understand. Well, I do understand, I think, and that's what I'm going to try and describe here. How people can let their hate get so out of control as to hurt other people 
commit acts of violence toward property or others, to shout in each other's faces, to swear and curse and debase one another. Even if that person is your political enemy, how do you do that to somebody? And I think the answer is the power of belief and ideology. And you know it when you see it on the other side, but you don't know it when it's in you. And, you know, we spent so much of 2020 fighting what we think of as like the boogeymen of our times, you know, sexism and racism especially. And we think that in order to be good, we have to actively fight those things. We have to be anti-sexist, anti-racist, and that the strongest words we use now are actually cudgels declaring each other bigots. Calling someone a bigot is like the worst thing you can say. And, you know, I put my reputation on the line every week here in this podcast by not cowering to that kind of threat, you know? Because it's not valuable to simply throw around these words at anybody that doesn't quite toe the line. I just wonder, what's the value even in, in hating hate? I guess that's really the question I'm wondering. Why hate hate? Now, the irony there is that I am speaking out against hate today, but I'm not hating it. I'm more embarrassed for it. I'm more pitying hate. I pity hate. When you hate something, and look, I'm not above hate. I've felt hate in my life plenty of times. I've probably felt it recently. I definitely become enraged as a driver, as a fast driver, as an efficient kind of driver who drives like a video game. I definitely get frustrated by oblivious drivers who, you know, coast too slowly in the left lane, who stop at yellow lights and make me miss signals. And I remind myself, it's just a few minutes of your day, Keith, relax. And I take a deep breath and I realize it's not worth losing my mind over it. It's not worth rear-ending somebody with my car. It's not worth getting into a fight about it, obviously. But I get it. I understand the power of emotion and how we can become possessed by it. But it can be pathetic. It's juvenile. It's immature to be so consumed by an emotion like envy or jealousy. Now, there are positive emotions like love, I guess. And it's, it's nice, it feels good to be consumed by that. And usually the fruits of that uh, moment are very nice, <laughs> very enjoyable. And they, you know, they manifest into the world in a positive way. So it's not that emotion is all bad, but it's just really important to regulate our emotion. 
to have control of emotions so that they don't control us. I didn't always believe that. I used to be very proud to identify with any emotion I might have. Maybe that's because, I don't know, as a, as a guy, as a male, I was sort of maybe even rebelling against something like a traditional masculinity of being out of touch with emotion. Maybe as an artist, poet type, I wanted to revel in even my most embarrassing emotions like lovesickness or something. Maybe to just feel enraged or upset, to feel something <laughs> is just preferable to feeling blank and empty and nothing, you know? Having fought depression my whole life, I once or twice was on medication, Zoloft and Wellbutrin I've tried in my life and they definitely left me with this kind of gray, blase lack of feeling. And I really didn't enjoy that at all. It took all the zest of life. And even if it got rid of the downs, I missed the ups. And I get it. It's nice to feel emotional because it is this godly feeling in the Greek sense of the god of anger possessing your body in a way. And it's like a creative inspiration. It's like something greater than you, something universal is channeling itself through your body. And that does feel good somehow. It feels reassuring. You're you're strong in your weakness in a way because you are uh, emboldened by that emotional power. You say words with conviction because of how possessed you are in that state. You really believe in it. And belief is so damn powerful. And I just, I have to say this regularly on this podcast, because I just think it's so important that we're aware of what we believe in and how we manifest our ideas in the world because ideas become actions. So when you look at these fools that stormed the Capitol in this kind of insurrectionist style, as it were, you just wonder what they believe in and how duped they are. You and I know that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democratic Party are not <laughs> introducing some totalitarian socialist regime into the USA to come for your guns and take away your civil rights and on and on. It's silly, it's just foolish. It's like, it's sad to me that people have become so brainwashed by fake news, by their infinite scrolls on Facebook that push these ridiculous agendas. But we like to buy into narratives. We catch these waves and we're a part of something. And you know what that's like 
on the left if you posted a black rectangle on Instagram blackout day after George Floyd died. You know what it's like if you shared Black Lives Matter memes after that, or if you've you know, ever shared that statistic, that empty misleading statistic, sorry to say, that women make 70 something percent on the dollar to a man or something like that. You know, like you get caught up in these movements because there's something true there that you believe somehow that women, for instance, are not equal to men in society or that black people are still subjugated and oppressed in some way. And when you have that belief, even that little kernel of a belief, every little stat, every little Facebook share or misleading meme will support that belief and it'll get bigger and stronger and it will cloud your mind like a parasite and take over your brain. And then you'll start putting anti-racist in your Twitter bio and then you'll start posting your, bi your uh, <laughs> pronouns in your email sign off because it's so important that you stand on the right side of history. So people get swept up in these beliefs, in these political narratives as if they're the most important thing in the world. And they're not. <laughs> they're not the most important thing about you. I don't care if you're on the left or the right. It's just like, it's not interesting that you compare it the trending political commentary of the day. That's not interesting to me anyways. I would much rather actually hear about what you dream of, what you actually spend your evenings thinking about, what media you consume and why. Do you like to laugh or do you like to watch dramas? Who are you dating? What kind of relationships do you like to have? What kind of creative projects do you engage in? What are your hobbies? Where do you want to go when the pandemic ends? Where do you like to travel? Like, they're just way more interesting things than like, politics. <laughs> I have a friend in Berlin who <laughs> likes to make fun of me for claiming that I don't care about politics when I obviously do talk a lot about politics. But I care about political philosophy. I care about rhetoric. I don't care about politics. I don't care about, you know, the fact that Trump was impeached today. That's not that interesting to me. I don't care if he's impeached. I don't know what it means that the House impeached him and what the Senate will do and yada yada, you know, like that's not interesting to me really. The fact that Joe Biden won and will take office in a week or so, it's only of passing interest, if I'm honest, because it's not what consumes my days. I don't let those kind of ideas take up all of my brain space. I care more about the weather. I care about where the sun hits when I step outside with my coffee at 8.30 or 9 a.m. Pretty early for me these days, it's nice. I care about getting the right kind of rocking chair on the porch and placing it so that the sunbeam warms me 
as I wake up in the morning. That's what I care about. I care about living in close enough proximity to the Silver Lake flea market so that on a Sunday I can take a walk and run some errands and stop by and peruse used clothes <laughs> being sold by a diverse group of people. You know, like at least half of the vendors at the, at the flea this weekend were black people, but they were hipsters. They were LA hipsters in Echo Park. You know, they're like me. The fact that they're black is incidental. Now, I shouldn't say too much. I don't know how much any one person's racial identity defines them. Maybe it does. I hope not, because it doesn't define them in my mind. I, and again, I would much rather hear about how they started their own fashion label in downtown LA together. And they went, went to school and, you know, the Asian girl and the black girl were classmates, you know, or that this guy presents his clothes in a big pile for me to rummage through, or how that guy has a really cool, sleek sweater and glasses, you know, a good look, you know, like that's more interesting already. And then, you know, on from there, like that's what life is. And then for me, like making photographs of it and catching things just right and taking a nice stroll and enjoying the fact that I get to take a stroll, even though I'm supposed to be deathly afraid of COVID. And I'm actually thinking, do I need to put on my mask as I walk the sidewalk? Like if, if I'm two meters away, if I'm six feet away from someone, when do I put on a mask? Like at six feet or at 10 feet, um, two feet, suddenly I, we're gonna give each other COVID if I don't wear a mask. You know, like I'm still trying to feel that out in LA. This is what like is actually on my mind. I'm not worried about race or Joe Biden's socialism. <laughs> These are silly things that people care about and I just wonder why they care about them. I think it's because they're told to care about them by media conglomerates that make money off of you staring at that app where ads are placed and the advertisements sneak your time and pay for that to these media conglomerates who have a vested interest in keeping you angry because anger is the most profitable emotion. Anger keeps eyeballs on the outrage machine and you are the product. If you protest, you are the direct byproduct of this outrage media. How do you feel about that? And when I see like, you know, this Capitol protest or even one of the summer protests, I just think, why bother? Like, what would I, like, is there anything worth protesting right now really in America? Probably. Homelessness, I would say. Income inequality, wealth inequality. The awful way we let people get treated and how we don't take care of one another. Like, it's disgraceful. It's like, I don't know, like, I, I have a lot to say about <laughs> 
homelessness. I probably should do an episode on it next time or soon. Because we all, it's like the most common bonding thing that I feel like everyone kind of agrees on. There is some political difficulty about it because maybe there's some distrust. Like when someone says that they hate homelessness, maybe a really virtuous person hears that they hate homeless people and wants them killed or something. Versus, for instance, I hate that we don't ensure the dignity of every human to be tidied up and clean and given you know, mental and emotional support as well as financial support. But it's also like akin to like a house and living in filth, you know, like our city should be presentable to ourselves, let alone tourists and visitors and everyone else. Like I want my house to be in order. I want it to be nice. I want to enjoy it aesthetically. And it's terrible when the trash is piled up and overflowing, it's disgusting. And so, yeah, I'm disgusted by homelessness as well as outraged by the fact that we tolerate tent cities on our streets. That's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for them and their hygiene and their mental well-being, and it's unacceptable for us and what we see as we take walks around the city. So, like, that's what I care about. <laughs> if we're talking politics, if we're talking about, like, issues for like governor or the mayor of the city like talk about that don't talk about like mandating masks or shutting down restaurants even outdoors or something like this is all i don't even know what what that is so this is the kind of thing that gets me angry but like even as i'm talking i can feel my blood pressure rising a little bit and it's a little distasteful to me. Like, I, I feel like it's like a bad look if I get too worked up. You know, as my mom would say, like, Keith, don't complain so much about things. You know, that's not helpful for anybody, <laughs> for you to just complain. You know, offer a creative solution. That's what's interesting. And she has a point. So like, I check myself. I emotionally regulate myself. As soon as I notice that I'm getting worked up, that my, maybe my emotions are taking over. I check in, I take a breath. I try and slow down a little bit and I try and think what is rational here? What do I actually want to say? Who, what kind of person do I want to be? And maybe protesters do that. I guess they do. I have pro friends that protest and I guess they actively want to be the kind of person that protests, insert whatever you want here. So that's cool. We all have our pet interests and I can't knock that. You know, it's good to fight the good fight. It's good to fight perceived injustices in the world. But just know that while you might perceive, I don't know, the whales getting killed <laughs> as an injustice. Someone else might perceive democracy dying by Democrats and Joe Biden as an injustice. So it's like, it's a very slippery, tenuous thing, right? Because I guess the world is so full of our 
are battling beliefs. I guess that's obvious. And I guess my point is like, we can chill out a little bit and realize that in general, we, we all enjoy peace and music and alcohol <laughs> and making out and thrift shops, you know, finding some cool new pair of jeans and hearing of a cool new band and shazamming it into your Spotify account and then playing it in the car on a date. You know what I mean? Like, I think that more people care about that kind of thing than they care about, I don't know, statistics of how many blanks there are versus this blank proportionally, da da da. And I just think that we forget that when we start talking on a social level. And why is that? Like, when we talk with each other as friends, of course we actually talk about real things, what we're doing with our lives, what our goals and dreams are, that kind of stuff. And then when we talk socially or with acquaintances, it always has to be like, do we believe in the same things? Do you, are you afraid of COVID as I am? Or are you risking my life by being a selfish anti-masker, anti-vaxxer? Bigot. <laughs> Asshole. Uh, you know, like, we have to, like, do this kind of check-in first. Like, we have to put up our, you know, Biden-Harris signs or something. And, like, identify our enemies by those who wear MAGA hats or something. I don't know, it's preposterous to me. It's so silly, this kind of like partisan fighting. It's really, really insufferable to me. That's what I wanna say. And I guess I knew that this would happen <laughs> when I came back to the States. I knew that this would get on my nerves. And it does, and it's not that bad. Again, like my days aren't actually spent thinking about this stuff very much, which is good. And it's not everywhere, like it's not actually suffocating me because I know how to avoid it or navigate my online life and my real life in a way that I'm not inundated and bombarded with it so badly. But it is a thing. It's a big thing here in America. And it's stupid, guys. Your echo chamber is stupid. There, I said it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't see the value in getting all worked up, you know? And I know there's some irony there because I have spent my time on this podcast getting worked up about various issues. But I just don't see the value in these narratives. And as my brother pointed out to me in one of our rhetorical debates over the holidays, Everyone has a narrative. So even I have a narrative and the people I admire and listen to like Sam Harris and Coleman Hughes and Don McWhorter and Jordan Peterson, they have agendas. They have agendas. And it's true, I don't pretend I don't have an agenda. But my agenda, to make it clear here, is to expose agendas and narratives <laughs> and question them 
that's my goal here. That's my agenda. I don't like the sneaky way in which power manifests in various groups from any direction, left or right, up or down, and infringes on my life. That's what I don't like. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me as a Republican to not have abortions. Don't tell me as a liberal that I have to wear a mask even when I'm outside in a park by myself. I don't know why that is a liberal thing at all. It makes no sense that liberals push that agenda point. It's so backward. I really actually wish Trump was an actual conservative so that he was the one saying that stuff and that the liberals could then take the contrary point of view against him and be like, hey, people have to live their lives, chill out, because that is a liberal thing to say. So that's what I'm gonna say. Um, <laughs> I was at the Santa Monica Pier. Okay, um, I'm having a technology, technology fail here. I'm pretty pissed. Um, I could go back into my story. It probably sounds different now. My, um, my microphone died while I was recording this, and then I realized when I finished. So these last 20 minutes of my podcast are gone. And it's late, it's like almost 1am and I'm tired, but I want to publish this, so I can't even get my AirPods to connect to the GarageBand interface. I really hate technology sometimes. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to be zen here. I'm just going to wrap up what I was going to say. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go into my story about the Santa Monica Pier and the anti-mask protest I saw there. I guess I will. It was kind of a fun story. I um, I kind of liked seeing this anti-mask protest, and it wasn't full of, like, conservative assholes. It was, like, a diverse group of people, like, literally all walks of life. It was only, like, 10 people. It was hardly a protest. It was people holding signs, and, you know, this sweet old lady looked like an old hippie asked me to sign a petition to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, a trucker kind of guy told me my smile was nice and that I should breathe in and enjoy the fresh air. And I understood them. I did. And I'll even go a step further and say that, <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous. I bet out of the crazy protesters that stormed the Capitol building, there's probably someone in there, if not a few, that I wouldn't mind having a drink with, just to like hear them out and hear their frustrations about the government. I mean, come on, leftists, you have also hated the government. So it's like not this crazy thing that people would be so enraged that they storm the capital it's like kind of the exact same tactic that we saw all summer i can't remember if i've already made this point in this podcast because you guys it's hard to do all this you know it's <laughs> all right i'm not going to complain about it i'm just going to wrap up with my thesis about all this the point isn't to avoid emotion 
the point isn't to avoid the news and to avoid reality and to escape into your own lifestyle of choice, your drunken stupor, your health craze, your family life. Like, I'm not endorsing an escapist philosophy here. I'm endorsing a an equipped mental state, a, a strengthened ability to endure the onslaught of information that we're living through. We're living through more information than anyone has ever. And it's really confusing because our technology and our like our technological abilities as a species are so far ahead of our primitive brains and emotional systems. And it makes for a very difficult, dangerous mix. And what we need is to really train our brains to make sense of it, of it all. And I do think that a healthy, balanced lifestyle and a set of priorities will help with that. When you endeavor to spend your time and energy on your passions and your personal life and your hobbies and your actual interests and the people of interest around you directly, I think that that helps. And when I see people become so possessed with emotion so as to, you know, storm any building or other group of people out of rage, I just can't help but worry for them and pity them and wonder what they're missing in life and why anybody would get so worked up about a belief a political belief in a society where you are okay. It's not like you're starving. It's not like the government really is rounding up people and killing them. It's not like we're being taken over by something, uh, by anything. It's not like we're any, in, in any direct existential threat from some vast conspiracy. We do have threats, climate change and our own hubris, but we have to be rational and make sense of the world with clear eyes and open hearts, you know? So I guess I'm here in California abdicating for like a love-in style, John and Yoko sleep-in, make love not war vibe. Um, And I just don't see what all the fuss is about with all these other things from any direction, left, right, up, down. It all just seems like so much, <laughs> what is the quote? So much like sound and fury signifying nothing, something like that. And another quote that I'll mangle, you can't fight fire with fire, only water can do that. You can't fight, fight Hate with hate, only love can do that. I think it's something like that. So I guess I just, I do think it's important that we meet each other halfway, that we 
find common ways to bond with one another, you know? And I think alcohol and sports and sex and laughs <laughs> are decent places to start. Um, you know, you don't have to be some dim-witted, foolish, you know, layperson to enjoy the basic things in life. Those things are worth enjoying, and it's worth breathing in some fresh, fresh air. All right. I guess I'm done. I <laughs> I feel a little bad that I messed up this podcast episode because I, I thought I had a good thing going before my microphone died. I'm going to resolve to fix that stuff and be better equipped. Um, you know, somebody like me should not be so hindered by technology. But technology is in the mind just as much as it's in the actual gadgetry. And it's hard for all of us and definitely me, to have clear minds about every little detail. I guess that's why people do some things professionally. I've always preferred to be the great appreciator of general things. Jack of all trades, master of none, I guess they say. Until next time, guys, take care. Ciao.